Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Bert. I'm the lead pastor at True North Community Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I'm going to have a little something to say to you at the end, but for now, let's dive in. All right, we're diving back into a series of messages on the Gospel of John. Uh, this is either week two or week 31, depending on how long you've been attending our church. Uh, and the reason, if you don't understand how, what I mean by that, uh, the reason that it's both is because about two years ago, we made a decision to try to preach through the Gospel of John verse by verse. And we did 29 weeks in John's Gospel. What happened then was the seasons changed, and in truth, I got bored. I learned a little something about myself in that season. I have the attention span of a fruit fly. I can't preach on anything for 29 weeks in a row. I just needed a break. We moved on, and then COVID happened. The world changed. And we sort of set this message series to the side, and we recently realized that right where we left it happens to dovetail perfectly with where we are in the church calendar. That is, the next several chapters lead us right into Easter, just like the calendar does. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be dovetailing back into John's Gospel, uh, leading us into the Easter narrative. And if you weren't here last week or weren't here for the first 29 weeks, don't sweat it. Here's the quick recap. John, our author, was an eyewitness. He was one of the 12. So John was there when the blind man received his sight. John was in the boat when Jesus walked on the surface of the water. John was there when Lazarus came out of the tomb. John was there when they cut the hole in the roof and lowered that paralyzed guy down in front of Jesus. He saw these things. He was there. He witnessed this stuff, and he wrote it down for a very specific reason. And we don't have to guess at what that reason is. At the end of his text, John actually does a fourth wall break. He breaks the fourth wall, looks into the camera lens to speak to his audience, and says, these things are written that you may believe. I'm writing this down so that you might believe and continue to believe that this man really, truly is the Son of God incarnate, the Messiah. Now, if, you're, uh, if, if you would self-identify this morning as a Christian, if you would self-identify as a Christ follower, not all of you do, but if you do, one of the basic tenets of our faith is that God reveals himself to us in two primary ways. There are others, but two primary ways that God speaks to us. The first is in nature. God speaks to us in nature, in what has been made, which is why you sometimes feel transcendent things when you stand on the shore and watch the waves roll in over the ocean. It's why you sometimes feel close to God when you're in the woods or in the mountains or standing next to a river or gazing up at the night sky. God whispers to us in what has been made and he speaks to us in the scriptures, the second primary way that God reveals himself to us. Now when God reveals himself to us in the scriptures, he reveals himself to us in three distinct persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Theologians refer to this as the doctrine of the Trinity. All we need to know is that God shows himself to us in three distinct persons. Now where we are in the narrative, Jesus is in the upper room with his 
with his disciples. There are only 11 remaining because Judas has already left the room. They've already had what we refer to as the Last Supper. And now Jesus is trying to prepare his followers for his departure. And it is not going well. His followers don't want to hear anything about him leaving. This is not what is supposed to happen. His followers are just starting. The, these guys, it's, they're a little slow, and we're going to give them some, cut them some slack on it, but they're, they're just now really starting to believe that he's the Messiah. And the idea of Messiah brings with it military connotations. For a first century Jewish believer... The Messiah was going to snap the yoke of Roman oppression. The Jews were, were being oppressed. The Messiah was going to come and restore the Jews' rightful place as God's chosen people. The Messiah was going to make everybody sorry who ever messed with Israel. The Messiah was going to come and, and make everything right and set it right. In other words, in plain English, the disciples were waiting for Jesus to start kicking some butt. They're waiting for him to crack open a can. You feel me? Like they wanted him to take care of business and they were getting excited about that idea. There was momentum following that idea. And now Jesus is talking to them about departure. He's referencing his own death. He's, it seems like he's saying goodbye. And all of them, like to a man, every one of them is like, no, 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 no. You can't leave. We need more of you, not less of you. What, what could you possibly be talking about? So Jesus is now in this place with them, and he's saying things to them that are only going to make sense after his death and resurrection. We get to read this stuff with 2,000 years of context. For the disciples, most of this stuff is they're going to slap themselves in the head a couple of months later and go, oh, that's what he was talking about. We have context, so we get to read into it on a little bit of a deeper level. But Jesus is trying to explain to them, when I leave, the Holy Spirit is going to come. The third person of the Trinity is a mystery to them. To a, to a Jewish believer, the Spirit of God is something you commune with at a specific place and time. You go to temple to commune with God's Spirit. You go to synagogue to communicate with God's Spirit. God's Spirit would walk with the children of Israel and accompany them at certain points and times, but it was an exterior thing. It was not yet interior. The Spirit had not yet come to reside within. Jesus is trying to prepare them for this and get them ready, and this is where we pick it up in the narrative. This is the Gospel of John, chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Okay. So we've got some clear teaching here, and you can't miss this part. This is important. Our lives are supposed to produce fruit. We are supposed to be productive. Does that make sense? It's real simple. 
We're supposed to produce something. And when I say productive, I don't mean, yeah, I had a good day at work. I checked a bunch of stuff on my do, off my do list, cleaned out the garage today, you know, cleaned out my inbox. I was productive. That's great. That's awesome. Do that. You know, be productive and, and work hard. That's, that's all. That's important. But that's not the kind of productivity we're talking about here. Our lives are supposed to produce fruit. We're supposed to, we're supposed to, to, to generate something in the world around us. Did you catch all that? Uh, that's why you have this pruning language. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will produce much fruit. And my Father prunes away the branches that don't produce fruit. So if there's stuff in our lives that isn't pr- productive, that isn't producing what, we're, what we want produced, God cuts it away. So this idea of pruning, let's talk about that for a minute because it's important. We're, back to this though. We're supposed to generate something. We're supposed, to, we're supposed to, 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 to have something flow out from us. Our lives are to produce something, right? And now we've got this pruning language. What is, what is pruning? Pruning, uh, if you are a gardener, is the cutting back of a plant or organism for its own good. Pruning is counterintuitive because you're cutting things off of it, and that may seem strange, like as if, you know, one might think the healthiest thing to do for a plant or a shrub or a fruit-bearing tree is to just let it grow and let it go. And actually, that's not true. Eventually, most plants or shrubs or flowering things will produce limbs that are not really that great for the whole, and if a certain limb or part of it is cut back, it'll make the whole thing more Productive. So pruning is when you cut something back for its own good, for its own health. I don't know a whole lot about this. I don't really have much of a green thumb. Like I know how to cut my hedges when they get lean over the sidewalk. That's about it. I tried. I've tr- I don't have anything green in my house. I bought a bonsai tree from that guy in the mall. You know what I'm talking about? You know that dude in the mall has got his little shop in there? Yeah, I bought a bonsai tree from that guy about a year ago. I had killed it within four months. It was, you know, it was like... I was excited, too. I was going to do my little Mr. Miyagi thing. I bought a tiny little pair of clippers. I was into this. It didn't work. Uh, But, you know, pruning, in theory, as long as you know what you're doing, is good for the organism. But here's the difference, right? You prune a bush. You cut the hedges. You cut a shrub. You cut the tree. Plants don't have nerve endings. When, When God prunes us, it hurts. It hurts. When God cuts something away, it's not easy when God cuts something away. But we're being told, Jesus is with the 11. I mean, they're, they're at the table now, and he's, he's talking to them like this is the stuff he wants to say to them just before he dies. There are going to be things in your life that the Father is going to cut away. There's going to be pruning. And some of you might be in that kind of a season right now, yeah? Some of you might be in that kind of a season right, right this minute where God is cutting something away from your life. Maybe there's a thing that doesn't belong in your life or a, an activity or a relationship or a something that ought not to be there. And God is calling you and saying to you, we are going to take this away. We're going to cut this away. This is going to be good for you. I know it's going to hurt. Stay with me. And our, our role in that is to cooperate. <clears throat> To say, yeah, I want that. I want to be healthy. I want to be productive. I want to produce the things I'm supposed to produce with my life. So I'm not going to go kicking and screaming into that process as if I'm a small child being dragged to an unwanted bath. I'm going to cooperate. Would it be weird for you to, to pray a prayer like, 
God, if there's something that doesn't belong in my life, I want you to take it out. If there's something that's in my life that shouldn't be there, I want it removed. I want to participate with you. Would it be weird for you to examine your life, to look over how you spend your days and where your thoughts go, and look for things that maybe don't line up with what the goal of your life is? to prune those things away, to cooperate with God, that would be cool because then our lives would start producing something. We would start generating something. And something would start flowing out from us. What that thing is, is revealed shortly. Next verse. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. He said that twice now. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Read that last sentence again. This brings great glory to my Father. God is honored when we produce much fruit. This glorifies God. So if you remain in me and I remain in you, you'll be fruitful. Now what is that word? Let's, talk, let's dial into that. This word remain, we may... Uh, we might have benefited from a different translation here. The word remain comes from the Greek word meanete, which literally means to abide, to abide, to live. The word abide is the same word that gives us the word abode or dwelling place. So another translation could be rendered, remain in me, good, stay in me, really good, live in me, abide in me, connect with me constantly, make your life and living within me. Abide in me. Stay. Stay connected. Don't connect to me in spasms. Don't connect to me in fits and starts. Don't connect to me in some broken, in some like, you're breaking up, like I can't quite hear you, I'm only catching every other word. Stay connected to me constantly. I didn't learn that growing up, and maybe you didn't either. When I grew up, it was like, I, I remember being taught to pray. It was like, pray. This is how you pray. You pray. You say, dear God, and then you ask for stuff. And then you hang up. You say, amen. Click. Hello, God. Blah, 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 blah. Amen. Click. And now I'm not talking to you anymore. Now I'm moving on. I'm done praying, and I'm doing something else now. I, I was taught the same thing when I went to church. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to walk in the church. I'm going to sit in the church. I'm going to stay for my 45 or 45 minutes or 50 minutes or an hour. And after that, I'm going to leave. I checked the box. I did that. Thank you very much. I got, I got that done. I did the God stuff this week. And I may pray again, but it'll be a uh, uh, you know, quick connection, and then I'm out. It was very, many, many, many years ago I preached on this verse, and I used an analogy. It's so old now, it's almost quaint. Does anybody here remember dial-up internet? Anybody remember like AOL? Remember, remember you, when when your when your computer had to make a phone call to get on the internet? Kids, you, young people in the room, you guys don't remember this. Like, I know this is like back in the Stone Ages, but like, 
you know, your computer, to get on the internet, when the internet first was a thing, you actually had to take a phone jack and plug it into the back of the computer and plug it into the, the wall, and your computer actually made a phone call to get on the internet, and then no one could use the phone in your house. So you'd get, on the, you'd get on the internet that way, and when you were on the internet that way, you knew it, boy. Like, you weren't just wasting time. You, you were getting your email downloaded, and you were looking for what you were in your chat room, or you were on Friendster or something like that, you know. You were back in the day, you know, doing your thing. Where are my old people at? Okay, so you're, you're, you're remembering all this stuff, and you're, you're, you were, but you were on, and, man, when, and when you were done, you got off that thing because somebody had to make a phone call. So, so it, was, it was fits and starts. You connected to the internet, and then you jumped off. You connected to the internet, and then you jumped off. And then came the advent of the cable modem. High-speed internet started coming to our house over coaxial cable. So now uh, we don't have to use the phone line anymore. Now we have a cable modem, and it's always on in the background. You don't have to worry about whether you're connected to the internet. God forbid we stop being connected to the internet. Everyone in the house is going to let you know if the internet goes out, right? Like there will, be, there will be, you know, wailing and gnashing of teeth the minute the wireless goes out. And now it's always on in the background. We don't really know what it's doing. We have a cable modem. There are five lights on that cable modem. All of them are blinking, doing something. We don't know what any of those lights mean, but they're doing something. They're connected in the background. Always on, always connected. That's the description. That's, that's the Greek word meenete, to abide, to remain, to stay, to live within. Live in me and I will live in you, says Jesus. Don't hang up the phone. Keep talking to me. Keep connecting to me. Make your life and living in me. And you will produce fruit. Something will come up out of you. Something will, something will generate. I, the Lord, will generate this thing in you. God is going to help you. He's going to cut away the things that will swim upstream against that, and you're going to start being productive. This, this will counter sharply the consumeristic lifestyle in which we are all embedded. Because it's in our nature to be consumers, isn't it? I love to consume things. Right now, I'm consuming oxygen, and I'm very fond of it. Right now, you're consuming oxygen and coffee and bagels and this sermon, and later, we're going to get out of here, and we're going to consume lunch. Then we're going to consume internet bandwidth. Then we're going to consume data on our phones. Then we're going to consume something on Netflix. Then we're going to consume dinner. Then we, we are consumers. This is what we do, but this is not your primary identity. There's a lot of people who've made it their primary identity to simply be consumers. We're after what we can consume. How to consume something more delicious and get something better tasting and get a better show that now we love. What's the new show that we're all in love with next? What's the new thing we're going to consume? The next vacation, the next trip, the next set of experiences that will somehow upgrade my life and make me complete. How can I just consume and consume and consume more and more and more? There are a lot of people living that way today. 
That is not what Jesus is talking about. He's like, you stay in me. You remain in me, and I remain in you. There are going to be some things in your life that get pruned away, but what's going to happen when that happens is you're going to stop being consumptive, and you are going to start to overflow, buddy. Something is going to flow out from you, and the world will notice because it's weird. That's a weird thing in this world to not always be just me, 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 me. You remain in me and I remain in you. Something is going to come up out of you. Something's going to start flowing out from you and it will bring great glory to my Father when that happens. God's going to love this. What is it? Next verse. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain, stay, live, make your abode, remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Content. Thank you. I don't know who said that. All right. So somebody's excited. All right. So, so come on. Contextualize this with me. This is the Last Supper. This is the, the, the remaining 11. Guys, I know you're freaked. I know you're scared. I know you're worried that I'm leaving. I'm telling you I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm already talking about my return. Uh, when I go, someone else is coming. The Holy Spirit is coming. I know you're freaked. I know you're weirded out. I know you don't even get this, but your joy is going to overflow. Your joy is like someday you're going to get this and, you, and something is going to come up out of you. And it's going to bless the world around you. It's just going to blow your doors off. You're going to love this. Your joy is going to overflow. That will be the thing that flows up out of you. That will be the thing that erupts from you and, 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 and touches the world around you. And mark this. This is not the plastic veneer of Hallelujah Christianity. This is not the blessed and highly favored talk of somebody who is ignoring reality and just wants to talk some talk. Now that's dangerous. That prosperity language, blessed and highly, sell it, sell that to the people of Kiev. That stuff doesn't preach in the slums of Calcutta. That stuff doesn't preach in developing countries. That stuff only preaches to middle class Americans and it's dangerous. That is not what Jesus is talking about. This is a joy that acknowledges that there's reality. This is a joy that acknowledges that sometimes there's cancer and there's difficulties and there's bankruptcies and betrayals and horror in this world. But a joy that says, I see those things. I see that horror. I'm aware of the pain. I'm not ignoring it. I simply know this. My sins have been forgiven, and I'm going to spend eternity with my Father in heaven who is well pleased with me. I'm going to stay plugged into him. My life is going to generate joy because, yeah, between point A and point B, there's going to be difficulty, but I'm going to spend my eternity with my heavenly Father. So joy supersedes pain and suffering. And it supersedes happiness. How many of you know the difference between joy and happiness? I mean, happiness is temporary, yeah? 
happiness comes and goes. It does. It comes and goes. And temporary things can make you happy. Whoever it was that said money can't, can't buy happiness was wrong. Money can make you happy, can't it? It's okay. Be honest with me. Come on, if somebody came up and gave you $100, would you be happy? Yeah, you'd be happy. Give me $100. Watch, I'll be happy. But would I, will I still be happy about that like a week from now? You have a great meal? Makes you happy. Sure. Love that TV show? Makes you happy. Sure, it's good. No, these things bring happiness. But loved ones, happiness is fleeting. Joy is eternal. Joy is an eruption. Joy comes from something altogether different. Something not dependent on circumstances or consumption. Joy comes from an outward bound life. God, come on, come on. It's right here in the upper room discourse. Look it. Look it. God will receive much glory from this. My Father in heaven will receive much glory. We honor God. God is honored. Yes? yes. Oh, wow. What comes next, Jesus? This is my commandment, verse 12. Love each other. Love others. Yeah? Come on. It's right here. This is my commandment. Love each other. In the same way I have loved you, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves or servants because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you're my friends since I've told you everything the Father has told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. God will receive great glory in this. Honor God. Love others. And how are we to love others? To love, we are to love others the same way I have loved you. How does Jesus love his disciples? Sacrificially. Just before this narrative starts, Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. The second person of the Trinity puts on a towel and got on his knees and washed the dirt off of their feet. It's right here. All this, if you come to church here more than three weeks in a row, you'll hear somebody say, honor God, love others, serve all. It's on a big banner in the lobby. That's embedded right here in the upper room discourse. You're called to live an outward bound life. If you follow him, if your heart belongs to him, we're called not to be consumptive, not to consume, to flow out that something might erupt from us, that joy might touch the world around us. Not the plastic veneer of, of supposed faith. No, no. This is a transcendent joy that comes from knowing our lives were meant for a greater purpose than consumption. You didn't choose me, he says. I chose you. You think it's a coincidence you're here today? You think it's a coincidence God's got your attention the way he does right now? The third person of the Trinity is tugging at you. This is how he reveals himself to us. He's whispering to you. He's nudging at you. He's pulling you. You are invited into this. 
You're free to live consumptive. You're free to spend your life trying to make you happy. And you may succeed in fits and starts, but you will miss altogether God's great purpose for your life. Last verses, we'll conclude with this for today. But I will send you the advocate, the counselor, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. And you must also testify about me because you've been with me from the beginning of my ministry. God called you, church. You're called. You're invited. This isn't by accident. You don't have to respond to that calling. You don't have to respond to that invitation. But I highly recommend that you do. You'll never regret it. It will open up for you. The forgiveness of your sins is just the beginning of what connecting to God does to you. The promise of eternity to come is just the beginning. It also means full life in the here and now, a life overflowing with joy. And that is something this world needs really, really badly. So I hope you respond. I do. Think on that, will you? And we'll pick it up right from here next Sunday. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we're thankful. Thankful for John, the apostle, who wrote these things down so long ago that we may believe and continue to believe that Jesus is the very Son of God, the Messiah. Father, we all struggle with consumption and wanting more. We all struggle with resisting you when you want to prune things out of our lives. We, we, we sometimes miss it. But once in a while, Father, we find ourselves caught up in your stream, caught up in your river, the current having captured us. Now we're flowing out. Now we're blessing others. We're glorifying you with our life and we're loving the world around us and we're serving the world around us and joy is inexplicably overflowing out in with and through us. We love that. We've caught little glimpses of that and small tastes of it. Now we want to start living in that stream. Now we want to live this way, to remain, to abide, to find our life in you. May that be so in my life. May that be so in all of our lives. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks once again for taking the time to listen. It's an honor to have you with us. If you'd like to support our church financially and help us continue to put this content out there for free, that would be a really big deal to us. We're completely supported by the contributions of the people that come to our church. And if you'd like to help, you can do that online at truenorthchurch.net slash give, or you can do it with a text message. Just text the word True North to 77977 on your cell phone, and you'll get a prompt leading you through how to do that. Thanks again for dialing in. See you soon. Bye-bye.